Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today I get to chat with the VP of Marketing at Impact. Now, Christy Eber-Garcia is a fantastic B2B marketer. She calls herself a B2B marketer, and I'm gonna describe her as someone who is hungry, humble, and smart. And not because I chose those words out of nowhere. Those words come of her goal of the type of marketer she likes on her team. And it's a really good way to capture what we're gonna dig into today. That type of personality is one who's gonna explore the unknown. They're gonna be the one to really understand what's working. And in the second half of our episode today, we talk all about attribution and understanding how as marketers and sales organization, we can create pipeline. But as she puts it, it's not enough for us simply just to look at what our technology is telling us, or simply to ask salespeople what asset was most impactful. We need to look at the two together. And that's really where you need these hungry, humble, and smart people. She gives you that recipe. She gives you the frameworks. This is a great episode. I am so excited for you to hear. Here we go. Christy, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I am so excited to hear about your career, which is really on a high. I mean, recently we were just talking, you made an amazing list as one of the most influential B2B marketers. Tell us how that felt. Well, I'll tell you, it was the highlight of of my career. Quite honestly, I've never been on a list like that before. So I was sort of straddling, how do I promote this without being overtly promotional. And there was really no way to do that. So I just posted it on LinkedIn and told my company how excited I was to be listed. But yeah, it was just a complete surprise. So very nice. That's amazing. And and it's no uh, small time publication in Business Insider. So so congrats on that. And I can only imagine that it's, you know, partly attributable to this rocket ship you've been on with Impact. Tell us how you found this company in the first place and how you became their VP of Marketing. Sure. Um, Impact and my team, which are incredible marketers. Um, But I actually was introduced to Impact when I was working for a competitor, um, a company called Rakuten Linkshare at the time, now called Rakuten Advertising. And I was doing competitive research and I learned all about this company Impact. And I was scared because their technology was superior and is superior Um, in the industry. It is really sort of the best in the market right now. I was working there for about five years. I left impact to work at a company called Seltra, which is an ad tech company. And one of my salespeople that I was working with very closely at Rakuten had recently joined impact. And he called me and said, we need you. You have to come. You have to join this company. Um, so I was I was flattered. And I did. I, I applied for a director of marketing programs role. And I started working there right away. And it was it was a fantastic decision. And, and like you said, a rocket ship, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, to give people listening in to hear some perspective, you joined, the company was under 400, you're now over 600 people. How big is the marketing team within that? Marketing team is about 25 people. Um, We have marketers in the US as well as other locations like Germany, London, Singapore, China, Australia, uh, and we're entering new markets like the Denmark, Sweden, Japan. Um, So we're pretty excited to be a growing marketing team. That's fantastic. 
Now, one of the unique parts, and you told this story, and you you are clearly all about your team, and I know it's not about you, but you know something about these companies has put you into this VP of marketing role. And there's a big distinction for a lot of us as marketers who interview for that VP leadership role versus earn it within a company. How has that unfolded where you seem to rise within the org? That's a good question. I, I always say when I join a new company that I'm just going to listen for the first couple of months, soak it all in before I start, you know, providing uh, strategies and things that I can improve. But it never really works out that way. I, I, I sort of join a company and, and immediately want to start making changes. And I think that when executives, founders of companies see how passionate you are about their company um, and how much you care and how hard you work, it's almost impossible not to rise within an organization. That and really, you know, enabling the people who are around you to be successful uh, is a huge, huge important part of being successful in any company uh, is really having that team around you um, that where you're weak, they're strong, and maybe where you're strong, they have some weaknesses and you really work together and you show that. And, and creativity also plays a big role. Thinking outside the box, as cliche as that is, just being able to have the perspective of what can we do that's really unique and really interesting. And that's what I love about marketing is, is you get to do those things. Um, and the companies that I've been a part of, they're small enough that there isn't this line and lane that you have to stay within. It's it's like, okay, this is your role, but you can also try other things. You can try your hands at other parts of marketing. You can stand up new programs and new channels. You can launch podcasts. You can think even bigger than that. You can do out of home. Maybe the company's never done that before. Um, and, and I've been lucky to be in companies that have empowered me to do some of those new and innovative things, which has helped me as a marketer grow in my own career as well as help the company. So, so I think I've been very fortunate in that way. That's amazing. And, and I mean, we hinted at it and you just gave the recipe, I think, for coming in at a director role and working your way up to that VP level, overseeing the entire marketing org, one that's, you know, 25 people. And as you said, you know, the company, I think, just recently raised $150 million Series D on the path to IPO. I mean, this is this is really exciting stuff that you get to be a part of and then get recognition for yourself and for your team at the end of the day. I'm curious, as, as you spoke earlier about making changes quickly, right? And, and I think that's this balance that we all want to come in and we all want to assess, as you said. But where is the areas that you often feel are the easiest to make changes? And, and I'll kind of set it up for you in this idea of, you know, people process technology. We always talk about that triangle. Which of those points do you think is the easiest one or the most tempting to change first? The people. When you've been a manager or when you've been around good managers, let's say, um, you have the ability to sort of see some of these, these gems, right? Maybe they haven't been getting the recognition or the attention that they need to grow. But I think spending time with those people and really empowering them and enabling them to go forward in their career, whether that's by promoting them or whether that's by giving them additional responsibility to prove that they should be promoted and working together with them and sort of like encouraging that loyalty um, to each other. I think that's the fastest way that that you'll be successful in any organization is really with the team you need. And a lot of times there are these these people, maybe they've been with the company for a long time or maybe they've been in other roles, but being able to identify who they are and how they can help with your plan 
in marketing or getting recognition for marketing within your company, uh, that's the fastest way to success. That's interesting. You know, when you when you first said people, my gut was you were going to say you brought in people you'd worked with in the past or change over the team. It, you know, I didn't expect that answer being like, you know, look within the system and figure out who's going to thrive. And I mean, we see this in sports where, you know, a new manager comes in or coach and the player all of a sudden elevates their game. And I've seen it as well as a marketing leader myself, where when you bring in the right manager, some people just, they click. How do you discover those people? Like, what are the signals that you're looking for? And maybe to complicate your answer here, especially in the pandemic that we've been in the last couple of years, where it's it's perhaps hard to, to really get that one-on-one time with people, uh, given the, the circumstances. The qualities that I think are, uh, actually the, the company qualities and, and the ones that I think make somebody stand out is this this concept of being humble, hungry, and smart. And hungry doesn't necessarily mean that you're just very ambitious and you just, you know, you wanna grow no matter what it takes. Hungry to me means you wanna do everything you can to do your best, and that's different. And so when you find those people that are willing to say, you know, I'm gonna get the job done no matter what, even though I don't necessarily, I'm not in the role to do X, Y, Z, if that person isn't going to do it, I'm gonna do it. And once you establish that trust that you know this person is going to do a good job no matter what, those are the people that you, you need to spend your time with and, and you need to help build them up. Um, and that, that's a benefit for everyone involved. I love that. I mean, even just the balance in my mind of thinking about the hungry and the humble. I mean, those, those two, I mean, you, you've got the hungry people who just, they're plowing everyone out of their way without respect. And I think the humbleness is, is really what probably creates that team environment. Absolutely. And, and sometimes you do have to look outside your team. But when you do that, involving your team is very important. It's saying, you know, you're going to have a colleague and I'm going to make the decision on who that is. And, and you guys are just, you know, going to have to, to deal with it. That, that's not exactly the way to, to motivate your team. It's, it's ensuring that everybody who is going to be interacting with that person is confident in your decision and, and getting their feedback and making them feel invested in the process is really important in building a strong team also. So before we take a break here, one last question, because I, I know within the business, you've acquired four companies since you've been there at Impact. So we're, we're talking about this team structure. How do you continue to figure out that balance when you have new talent, new people coming in? I'm sure there's marketers within those that, you know, that have entered your team. How do you align everyone? It's through having the, the, the one goal. Um, and in our company right now, the, the goal for marketing is, is around hitting certain pipeline numbers, um, caring about metrics that matter, you know, not some of the vanity metrics. And when you get everybody on the same team working towards the same goal, there's a natural connection between those people. I think when you have people come in from the outside, there's this renewed energy in the team and there's always these new ideas. You know, we look at it as an opportunity to learn from that person and not as a threat to our own, you know, individual roles or as some sort of complication to what we're doing. Oh, we have to involve this person or we have to, you know, train this person. It's like, well, that's great. This person is going to teach you some things. And so as long as you're you're always looking at it as an opportunity to learn, I think there's there's really no problem. There's there's no, no barrier in your way to building that team. That's great. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to dig a little bit deeper on this pipeline alignment. We'll be right back to chat with Christy Eber Garcia. 
Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I think it's really exciting when a marketer like Christy can rise inside of an organization to that VP level. And she said it herself, this is not the first time that she was brought in where a CMO was in place and that CMO wasn't cutting it. And that really is where you know you have someone special on your team. When they are carrying the load and you make it more of a formality than anything to make them that leader. Those are my favorite stories inside of our organization at Uberflip. And I'm sure if you look around on your team now, there is that person who just makes things happen. They step up and I think that should be the inspiration for all of us listening to these episodes with other marketer leaders. How will you step up to create the opportunity for yourself? So Christy, just before we took a break there, we were talking about pipeline and I want to chat with you as a B2B marketer about this idea of who's ultimately responsible for creating pipeline. And is it marketing or is it sales? And the, the part I'm hitting on there is we all know that marketing is responsible for driving pipeline, but in many cases you've got the expectation that the BDR is going to ultimately convert that pipeline or the AE is going to enter that opportunity into the CRM. So how do you think of where that line starts and end of pipeline creation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it can be different at every company and it has been different at every company I've been a part of. The way that our current, my current company Impact thinks about it is, is sort of the way that I wish all companies would think about it, which is that marketing, BDRs, sales, and maybe the partnerships team or the biz dev team are all responsible for pipeline we all have our unique goals that we need to hit. And it's not just MQLs, it's not just driving conversions, it's what is the quality of these conversions that you're driving. And it's important for us as we look at our demand gen and our marketing mix to say, okay, we're getting a lot of leads, but they're not converting into pipeline. And so I would just recommend that everybody look lower funnel when they're looking at marketing success because you can drive a lot of top of funnel and that's all very important. And, and there, there's, a, there's a need for that, that, you know, that nurturing, especially in the B2B cycle where there could be up to 13 touch points in years before you're, you're getting a final contract or a decision from, from the prospect. But in the meantime, really focusing on what it is that's driving success in pipeline and talking with your sales team and being partners with them and saying, hey, you know, we, we launched this paid social campaign or, hey, we did this great direct buy with this really fabulous publication and we're seeing a lot of conversions and, and leads coming through the funnel, but it doesn't look like they're becoming pipeline or they're not, they're not getting qualified. What's going on? And keeping those lines of communication open is really, really important. 
because if all you're doing is looking at numbers, you're going to get half the story. Like there is a qualitative point. I don't care how good your attribution software is. I don't care how, how good your reporting is in Salesforce. You need to have that communication to understand what's working and what's not. There should always be a partnership between sales and, and I'm fortunate to have that. And I've, I've had that at, at all of the companies I've been a part of. So, so your, your second part of the, the answer there kind of beat me to my next question, which was going to be, well, what do you trust more, the data or the sales voice? But I'm curious, who's leading these conversations then? Because, you know, the, the, the marketing ops team or whoever might be building your multi-touch attribution model or visibility into such is going to come with certain findings. Are they the ones tasked with then going to chat with sales or is that someone else in your org? It's exactly right. Uh, we have a super strong ops team, uh, marketing ops and they are not only doing the integrations between our landing pages and Salesforce and all of the data that talks, and of course that's not my area at all, so very fortunate to have a team that can do that. But yes, they'll be looking at things like leads not moving from one stage to the next. Like why aren't they progressing? What's going on? And then it's a conversation with both marketing and sales, which I think is really good because just coming to me, it would say, well, I spent all this money and we're, you know, we're running all these amazing campaigns and we have this really great ebook that's been, you know, really popular. So why aren't they converting? But understanding from the sales perspective, it could be a data problem, it could be a lead routing problem, or it could be the fact that the people who are downloading your ebook just aren't ready to talk. But all of those things matter. Are they're all equally important data points uh, when you're making decisions about where and when to spend money in additional channels. So beyond understanding what worked at top of funnel, which is essentially what we've been talking about so far um, in terms of interacting with sales, what are some of the things that you've found are most impactful, no pun intended with what the company is, what is most impactful in terms of the things that you can do at the middle to bottom of funnel to support the sales org as a marketing team? Yeah, I would say that's a great question. So being able to nurture them down the funnel is important for us. A big driver of that has been in the form of what was once in-person events, and I, I miss those days, although I, I feel like they are going to be coming back soon, um, and now has for, sort of taken the form of virtual events. So these are not big presentations that everybody on the call just has to like go on mute and listen to. We're, we're doing interactive type of engaging events, like a virtual wine tasting, where we'll have a sommelier come in and, and have a conversation about the different wines and pairings. And then we're just having a conversation. We're not hard selling, we're just talking. We're saying, what are some challenges, you know, that you're, you're dealing with? You know, we're selling to marketers for the most part. So it's a very easy conversation for me to have because I'm learning from them and saying like, how are you guys focusing on, you know, what's going on with the cookies and with the privacy and how has that affected your ad budgets and, and really just talking to them as people and establishing a connection in that way, it makes them more interested in, in what it is that you're sending them and selling them. That has been a big driver uh, of, you know, engagement for us in the form of this, these interactive virtual events. So talk to me a little bit, I, maybe I'm getting a little into the weeds here, but we've, we've done these same sommelier type of events and I think a lot of marketers are, are searching for similar type of events to, you know, to kind of break through the crowd. How do you scale those events? How do you ensure that, you know, I mean, how many bottles of wine can one marketer really drink at the end of the day is maybe what I'm asking, but more so, you know, how have you found ways to do this at the scale? I mean, you know, we hit on earlier, you're a hundred million dollar AR company. 
you know, that is obviously going to result in significant growth targets going forward. Can you continue to do that with these one-to-one or one-to-group style events? Or are we just praying that, you know, a mass event is, is coming up in the near future? I think it's part of a mix and understanding that, yeah, these virtual events, maybe you can't do them at scale. You, there's probably never going to be a time that a thousand people are going to be on a call and feel comfortable talking about anything. But being able to have a process where it's plug and play once you've had a successful event, um, you know, having all the documentation on what worked, what didn't, how did you set this up? Um, sending you know your teams in different countries this documentation so that they can light up these events and see how they work in their regions. Um, but it's one of many, right? There's There needs to be a full-on 360 campaign element. There's a gifting element. There's an email element. There's a content marketing element. There's advertising. There, there's all of these things and they all work to do different things, but they work together. And to be honest, that's one of the challenges that I've always had is, is sort of understanding from an attribution perspective which channel is the most important? I think sometimes when you're looking at that multi-touch attribution, you're saying, well, this is what ended up converting them to an opportunity. Well, this is the first touch. Well, well, this is the this is the middle touch. This was the important one. They're all equally important. I'd really caution people against trying to establish weights on the different touch points and really understanding that it's it's a journey and every touch point is equally important. Events play that role, like you mentioned, towards the middle and bottom of the funnel. Um, for sure, you're not going to get people who have never heard of your company and never heard of you or read anything to be on an intimate call with your CEO. That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, and so they need further nurturing to move them further down the funnel, but they all play a very important role. So before we take another quick break here, one question, you know, it would be silly for me not to ask this. We've talked about the role of wine. We've talked about the role of events. What about the role of content at this bottom of funnel experience? How how do you transition from the role we talked about, like that ebook to get them to, you know, engage in the first place to the role of content deeper down? We have a fantastic content team um, who creates really interesting uh, content and ideas. So one of the things that we found that works the best, of course, is customer stories. Maybe those are videos, maybe those are case studies, maybe those are G2 crowd reviews, you know, maybe those are just testimonials we're getting back in the email after they read some great piece, but really being able to use your, your customers as ambassadors for you. Um, user generated content is the hot thing all over the world and it should be for B2B businesses also. The case study element and, and sort of the customer story element is super important, not even at the bottom of the funnel, I would say at the top of funnel. Um, I, I think also creating interesting ideas and headlines uh, as a, are important. We recently just came out with a campaign called Advertising is Dead, raising some eyebrows. We did an ad week takeover. Um, we wrote an ebook all about what we were talking about. What do we mean by that? You know, we've done uh, articles in Forbes. We've had interviews with, you know, different publishers and advertisers talking about how they're looking at it and sort of putting all of those assets together in a package and a carefully orchestrated campaign that you're managing with sales also for all of those touch points is, is sort of how we're using content at all stages of the funnel. It's, it's, it's just so important, especially when it's a niche industry or you're trying to establish a new category, which is both, both of, of which we're in at impact. Gotcha. Well, listen, Chrissy, we're going to hit a little bit more probably on content with some of my rapid fire questions, but we're going to take a quick break here on the marketer's journey and we'll be right back.
The idea of multi-touch attribution is such a loaded term, and I think it overwhelms a lot of us as marketers. One of the things that Christy points out that's so accurate is it's not enough just to look at the data. When we look at the data, we start to justify that every single touch point is important. When we talk to salespeople at the same time, we start to hear what assets were resonating. You know, the best thing we can even do is actually talk to customers or listen to customers. There's great technologies out there today like Gong and Chorus that allow us to listen in on those sales conversations and really look or actually search to say what content assets are they referring to that were really impactful? What marketing activities like a virtual event that Christy speaks to really stood out to pull them in and help build that relationship? Multi-touch attribution, again, it's not technology. It's really understanding the buyer journey. All right, Christy, so you've made it through the first two segments. At this point, it's all fun and we've got some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I think so, I hope so. All right, let's do it. All right, my first question for you is really the mindset of you know the future leaders and you talked about finding them within your team sometimes. Do you push them towards more of a marketing generalist role or marketing specialist? Like how do you encourage people beyond this idea, take on new responsibilities when they come which path is better in your mind to leadership? Um, generalist. I think someone who can do everything, uh, maybe not the deep dive specialist, but the ability to kind of stand in for anyone else on the team is, is crucial. That's great. So that takes me to my next question, which is when you think of, of the ideal marketer on your team, what's one attribute that you wish they had more of? One thing that they really practice more on a daily basis? Confidence, confidence. I think we struggle with that as marketers. I don't, I'm not sure why, but really believing in, in yourself and being confident in your abilities, making the right decisions and being confident in those is something I think everyone can work on. Love that. I don't think anyone has not said one of analytics or content or something like that. Confidence is a great answer. All right, so speaking of content though, I've got to go there. When you think of some of the best content that you engage with, what do you associate that content doing? Teaching, teaching me. Um, as a consumer, as a business person, finding documents, uh, eBooks, case studies, where I can learn something and be better at my job. That's the role of content in my mind. All right, so we're gonna take that content answer and we're gonna link that into the world that you're in, which is partnerships. And as you said, you've you know, you've been with Impact for you know four, four years now. You were previously with another company in the space for five years. So what are your tips when it comes to the role of content and the role of partnerships coming together? It's funny you should mention that. I, I would say that right now, commerce content um, is is one of the hottest channels for marketers who are working at companies basically focused on uh, consumers for the most part. So uh, establishing a relationship with someone like a Forbes and being part of their reviews, um, being on the top 10 gift list for New York Times wire cutters, um, and really establishing a relationship there where they are talking and writing editorial uh, and not advertorial type of content about your brand. We're researching nowadays, all consumers are researching. We wanna see reviews, we wanna hear from established, um, credible sources. 
not the brand. We don't want to see ads. We don't we don't want to hear from the brand. Um, and so using content as one of the arsenals in your in your marketing toolkit is is super important. But it, it should be content that's not written by you. <laughs> um, it, it should be content that's written about you. And that's where partnerships come in. That's great. That's great guidance. It's it's a real spin on thinking about traditional PR from from the way you're you're setting that up. A lot more I'm sure we can dig into on the Impact website. But for now, I've just got one last question for you. Uh, we've talked about career journey. We've talked about buyer journey. When you think about your own journeys and your own you know breaks that you need to take to keep fresh with your family and yourself, where's that next break going to be, and how do you disconnect? I personally love Mexico. I've been to many of the different places, Cabo and Tulum and Cancun, but nothing has topped Tulum in my mind. Uh, you can really, I know it's trendy right now, but you can still go and be isolated um, and have this beautiful jungle beach at your disposal. Uh, and I think my kids will love it. I, I know my husband and I love it there. So uh, the food is fantastic. The people are friendly. Um, what more can you ask for? There you go. One last nugget of gold from you today. I'm sure a lot of people are dreaming about that vacation, whether it's their first in a long time or not. Uh, Christy, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. For everyone tuning in and listening to Christy's story, I, I hope one day you're on this podcast sharing your own. I, I think every marketer's story is different and you can go back to the many different marketing leaders I've been able to chat with and, and hear theirs, compare it, you know, figure out your journey and where you're gonna go from here. Until next time, a big thank you for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.